I'm Al Miner, curatorial assistant here at the Hirshhorn, and I'm excited to be sitting across from Michael Bell Smith, whose piece Up and Away from 2006 was acquired for the collection last year through our Contemporary Acquisitions Council, and is being featured in an upcoming exhibition called The Cinema Effect, Illusion, Reality, and the Moving Image, Part One Dreams, which opens on February 14th. Mike, can you just start us off by describing that piece? Um, <clears throat> Up and Away is uh, a six-minute video loop, um, and it is comprised of um, different digital landscapes, and they're landscapes that I pulled from um, an archive of video game backgrounds, and essentially the effect of the, uh, of the piece is a sort of... Um, <clears throat> as if you're flying over these landscapes. So essentially these landscapes continually scroll from the top to the bottom of the screen over um, six minutes. I guess that's a little more uh, technical than maybe needed, but... But I mean, that brings us to, I think, the first sort of obvious set of questions, which mm -hmm. is the role of technology mm -hmm. in your work and what it means to you. You're obviously sampling from things, mm -hmm. but particularly in Up and Away, looks like you're sampling from like eight 16-bit graphic systems. Mm -hmm. And if you look at video games that are out right now, they're super glossy and slick. Is it a conscientious decision not to sample or right. be inspired by that right. kind of technology? I think, you know, one of the sort of problems, I think, of working with that sort of imagery is that there is this, uh, the kind of... Uh, nostalgia or kind of retro element and that's something actually that isn't I understand that that's kind of a function of the piece but it's really not what I'm interested in it's not about the 90s or 80s or even video games so much per se as um, just the kind of primitiveness of the imagery one thing that I'm really interested in in terms of technology and sort of the critique of technology that um, I hope to get at in my work is uh, sort of foregrounding the technology a little bit. I think that, you know, in terms of the kind of video games you're talking about, there's a progression towards things being slicker and slicker and more photorealistic and kind of hiding the technology mm -hmm. in a lot of respect. So I think one thing um, that I like to do not only in the, you know, the imagery I use, but also in the pacing, etc., is to kind of um, bring that digitalness, bring that mediation to the forefront in a way that we can kind of consider how the image is constructed. Interesting. What is your background in terms of technology? I know you studied semiotics at Brown. Yeah. Do you have sort of an educational background in working with new media? Right. Are you um, a tinkerer? Um, <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Um, I sort of, so, you know, undergraduate, I sort of... Um, was focusing on film, film and video, and um, sort of the way that the program was set up, it was very much um, sort of the, the classroom and the education was on a kind of theoretical conceptual level. So in terms of kind of technical, practical issues, um, for me it was really kind of self-taught and kind of self-motivated. So I sort of started studying film and video and new media to uh, an extent in college, but in, but in terms of the kind of technical issues or some of the those kinds of things, that's always been self-taught and something that I've just kind of picked up along the way. So, um, you know, I think it's important to me that the ideas do come first and the technology kind of come second. So, you know, I think that kind of my education might reflect that a little bit, I guess. So you don't have an art background, but critics have, and I know as a viewer, made this immediately with your work to painterly. Mm -hmm. 
stuff, to painting, to a history of painting. It just seems like a really tangible, mm -hmm. invisible element. In a few ways, scale certainly, I think, brings up painting in that your pieces mm -hmm. tend to be smaller and frequently wall-mounted LCDs, mm -hmm. so there's almost like a physical frame mm -hmm. on them. And I know when I have seen projections of your work, the projections haven't been huge. A lot of the other artists in Dreams, though not all of them, are working with massive, large projections right. that have a very different kind of quality right. and space and a different physical experience with the viewer. Can you talk a little bit about scale and Yeah, I think, um, well, I think for me, um, you know, the sort of issues that I'm bringing up, I want it to be clear that I don't think of them as specific to technology or specific to, you know, in the case of this piece, video games or, you know, the personal computer or the internet or whatever that might be. So I think, you know, scale, um, the scale that I'm gauging, I think, to some degree is, is a way of bringing it in dialogue or bringing my work in dialogue with sort of art historical trajectories that don't either A, necessarily have to do with cinema or B, you know, on a smaller scale maybe have not, don't necessarily have to do with um, the personal computer, like the way that a lot of digital art is presented in a way that sort of foregrounds that. So for me, you know, while there is this element of technology and everything is very digital, that I see as just kind of indicative of the way images are made these days. So as a result, you know, I think that kind of bringing them, uh, my work, into scale with um, paintings is, is kind of a conscious effort towards inserting it into that dialogue. In terms of your studio practice, if we can call it that, or the process you use, are there sketches? Do you keep a sketchbook? Do you come at it in a way the way a painter would approach right. a piece as opposed to what we stereotypically think of the process of a net artist? Right, right. Um, well, I think one of, you know, and I think, about, I think about that issue a lot and sort of kind of where the kind of technology enables the practice or kind of, you know, works against what I'm trying to do. And I think one thing that's sort of specific to the way I work, you know, in regards to kind of sketches or whatever, is that um, everything, it's really easy for everything to just get folded into the work itself, you know, where, you know, if you picture, okay, a painter, okay, they might make a sketch. Well, that sketch is specific to like a certain scale and a certain media. And it, you know, in order to make it a real piece, you'd have to make it on a larger scale with a different media. Whereas when you're working digitally, those kinds of ideas don't really exist, where the sketch is sort of just gets folded into the piece. So rather than the kind of a sketch model, it's almost like writing, where it's like drafts and those things get reworked and kind of churned in. And I think that um, it's kind of, there's good things about that and there's bad things as well. Um, just in that it kind of creates a, a really linear sort of way of working where kind of all of your ideas end up kind of just folded into um, the, the kind of final result rather than sort of forking off or this being this piece or kind of this being a sketch for a later thing. Or, um, so it's tricky. There's also, I think, a content link with your work and painting. I know Roberta Smith from The Times drew a parallel that I'm not sure was intentional with the piece you have called Continue 2000, which there's a red caped figure standing on what looks like maybe a rooftop mm -hmm. overlooking this rolling landscape of a sunset that brings up Caspar David Friedrich right, right. and images of the sublime. Was that an intentional reference? Or, you know, when you think of sort of 
art historically of painters trying to find a way to encapsulate concepts like the sublime right. nature and landscape. Is that something that you think about? Or I mean, I at? do, but to me, it's it's um, it's less. It's I, I wouldn't say it's an ironic gesture because I don't think it's like a simple inversion in that respect. But it is conscious of the fact that as much as it looks like, um, as much as it looks like you know a romantic painting, it also looks like a scene from an anime where you know the hero has just you know one the girl and slave, you know, whatever it is, you know, on the cliff looking at the sunset and how those sorts of representations have been filtered through from art history to film to video games to cartoons. So for me, I think, you know, when I'm employing those sorts of gestures, what's more interesting to me than something like trying to capture the sublime or kind of, uh, you know, those kinds of gestures is referencing the way these kinds of images have been complicated and sort of uh, lack the purity maybe that they did at a certain point in time by the different ways that they've been mediated or, or kind of bounced around through through time and through visual culture. In your current show in New York at Foxy Production, you have a piece that I thought was just beautiful, uh, which was five digital light boxes with essentially color fields, which then mm -hmm. brings you sort of to the way a history of abstract painting mm -hmm. artists like Jules Olitsky took on either the spiritual or content without mm -hmm. representation. Is that a direction you're moving towards? Is that an outgrowth yeah. of the same works that we've been um, talking about so far? I think that it is um, an outgrowth, because um, I do think that there is a, sort of a, a continuity. Um, you know, I think there's the kind of impetus or the inspiration for that, those pieces were thinking of the gradients in these color fields as um, skies, as sort of sunsets or, um, you know, kind of different moments of, 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 of the sky. And, you know, to me that ties back into kind of this notion of the sublime and, um, you know, again, sort of this cliched perhaps notion of the sublime. Um, so in those works, I was thinking about that and thinking about um, sort of digitizing or capturing it because, you know, another element of the work is that these, these gradients are uh, really heavily pixelated and really heavily dithered and kind of rendered in this really kind of minimal color palette. Um, so I was thinking about sort of the tension between, um, you know, the gradient um, which sort of acts as this almost the shorthand, the slang for like big things like skies and sunsets and reflections and the way light rolls off of things. Um, and then, you know, the idea of representing that digitally and how that kind of relates to pixels and stuff like that. So I think for me, you know, the entry point was more about kind of the language of minimalism and, and kind of how minimalism adds up to representation. Um, in places again like sunsets or something like that. How a gradient can just be a gradient but it can also like stand in for a sunset. Um, and you know so while there is sort of a, a minimalism um, or you know a relationship to color field um, painting or stuff like that I do think for me it's about um, kind of uh, representation at a really base level and kind of the shorthand of this slang. Um, and I think that's something that I'm kind of really interested in right now is these sort of elements of, of representation and, and kind of the point at which they almost reach abstraction. I think those issues to some degree set you apart from other artists who 
upon initial inspection, there would be a comparison to early net artists like John F. Simon mm -hmm. or contemporaries like Corey Archangel. When you have to categorize yourself, right, right. if you have to categorize yourself, do you consider yourself a new media artist? Do you consider yourself a video artist? Do you want to not be pigeonholed right, in that way? Right. And how do you see your relationship to those other yeah. artists who are also working in this media? Um, that's a really good question. I think, you know, um, I think there's, you know, I think I, I touched upon this, I think, a little bit a moment ago, but I, I, there's an element of what I'm trying to do that is saying that it's not about computers and that the way that I'm engaging technology is the same way that the whole world is engaging technology and in, in, in everything we see in terms of uh, advertising and movies and film and television. All this stuff, for me, is about technology. So I think one thing... Um, that perhaps sets me apart, and you know, I don't want to say that this, you know, that no one else is thinking this or something, you know. But one part of my project that's kind of important is saying that it's not about computers. It's not about um, that specific relationship to a personal computer or to to any of these things, but rather kind of the condition of the image today. Um, so in that respect, you know, I do feel a little bit like. No, I'm not a new media artist. You know, I'm just a regular artist who happens to use new media. Um, at the same time, I think you know both those artists you talk about are fantastic, and I think that they're addressing things that are really um, integral as well. Um, you know, so I think in terms of labels, everything kind of has a little bit of a baggage, and I, I guess you know, if anything, you know, I guess uh, I'm just you know. I, Sometimes I think I, I, I wish for a day when it's like this is just normal to some degree because to me it's natural. To me it's not a conscious decision to use these sorts of technologies. It's just the way I make art, you know. And um, so in that respect, yeah, like labels like new media artist maybe feel a little bit forced. But, I, you know, at the same time I'm definitely using those tools, so I'm fine with it. Are there popular culture references that, you know, I think the things that we all grow up with seep mm -hmm. into your work, no matter whether you want them to or not. Mm -hmm. Did you play video games? Yeah, I were did. Were you an <laughs> avid gamer? What were your favorites? Right. Um, I did. I played a lot of video games. Um, and, you know, I think for me, video games, and, you know, this is talked about a lot, but I'll just talk about it a little bit more for a second, but... You know, I think when people talk about video games and video games in relationship to art and video games as kind of a valid, you know, there's a lot of artists working with video games right now, and, you know, it's kind of, there's a discourse around that. And it's kind of, you know, talking about kind of uh, nostalgia in some respects, but then also interactivity or just kind of gaming culture and stuff like that. Um, but for me, video games are just, it's like, it's like cartoons or it's like, you know, movie. It's just kind of another reality. And for me, video games were as influential in terms of, of you know, kind of uh, the interaction of a video game. You know, there's that aspect of it, but I'd say as influential is just this idea of, like, the space that you enter and, like, the world of the video game, you know, the fantasy. So, like, you know, it's Dungeons and Dragons. It's that kind of thing as much as it is about interaction. Um, I think another... You know, thing to me that's really interesting is, um, and this is a little tangential to your question, but the sorts of video games that you know um, people of our generation grew up on, 
um, in terms of 16-bit, 8-bit, there is this sort of um, kind of the way that representation has to be kind of distilled into these kind of primitive mechanics just by the function of, of the kind of primitiveness of the hardware I find really appealing from kind of a representational standpoint and the way that those kinds of kind of essentialization might relate to sort of um, kind of gestures um, in art, you know. Um, so for me, video games are as much about like simple pictures moving, scrolling by as they are about like playing things or, you know, there's much about the kind of world of, of dungeons and of um, outer space and of kind of the place that that takes you as it is about, you know, a controller and, and, and making things explode or something, you know. Um, so I think in that respect, yeah, it was, it's, it's less about, you know, there's definitely a huge part of my growing up, but it's just kind of more mushed in with all these other things and less about, like, playing. That, in a way, brings us back to the exhibition here, Dreams, which really is looking not at new media and film the way a lot of other shows have, not in terms of technological advances mm -hmm. or the intervention with artists and technology, but about content and about altered states. A lot of the artists in Dreams are using these technologies as a platform to take a viewer sort of out of their own realities and into another place. And I know in Up and Away, there is a series of cityscapes, landscapes from games that really do have a sort of hypnotic mm -hmm. effect or insight, a dreamlight state. And one way for me, the way that worked was as you're watching the piece, you start to almost be able to place. Mm -hmm. you, the music sounds familiar, the images look familiar, you can't quite figure out what game they were from or mm -hmm. why you know them. And as soon as you start to solidify, it sort of scrolls to the next scene. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about the sort of cognitive effect even? you're having on a viewer with your work. Yeah, well, I think, um, you know, one thing that I find really, um, you know, going back to this, uh, you know, there's a large aspect of the work for me which is about the sort of simplicity by which um, the effect of, of flying or moving over these pieces achieved by kind of scrolling these landscapes um, at different speeds. So essentially the way you can um, sort of simulate perspective by having these things moving at different rates. I guess it's parallax or I think something to do with that as a technical term or something. So for me a lot of the kind of cognitive relationship is a sort of almost visceral connection or not visceral but kind of experiential almost and one thing that's really exciting to me about the piece is the way that it kind of translates that using these really simple means. The idea that just scrolling these things at different speeds can have this sort of effect like you're either moving across over something or moving up um, as it kind of unfolds in front of you. So I think you know there's a large part of it for me that the kind of um, cognitive effect or the kind of uh, effect on that level is just about the mechanics, just about the movement. In terms of the imagery itself, um, I think there is something really compelling about sort of, um, in some respect, the disparity of it. So, you know, it goes from um, few cities to um, 
cities to fields to deserts to um, oceans to clouds to volcanoes and there is this sort of you know um, effect almost of this kind of world tour which I think is is sort of appealing to me Um, but also again going back to this idea of sort of how that technology of that era sort of limited things the way things are rendered in this sort of simplistic um, almost caricatured, caricatured style it it ends up having this sort of non-place sort of effect where all the cities become sort of generic and all the fields become sort of generic. And I think there's something really um, engaging about that in sort of this dreamlike, <laughs> forgive the, the analogy, but sort of dreamlike way. I mean, bringing us back almost full circle though to painting, this piece is like a series of two-dimensional landscape paintings. When you think about, especially more primitive painting, the ability for a two-dimensional plane that sort of has a perspectival advantage Mm -hmm. to give a visual illusion of depth seems to be exactly what's happening in that piece. But I think it's also assisted in that particular work by the soundtrack, which I would call a... sounds like the soundtrack to a video game, but it's almost like a lullaby version. Mm -hmm. Is music important to you? It's not in your newest work. Mm -hmm. It seems a lot of those pieces are silent. Yeah. Um... I'm sort of moving away from using music so much in um, the work that I'm making now because I feel like, to some degree, there's a cheapness in it in that um, it's really easy to push something in a certain direction with music. So, for instance, like with this piece, like, you know, there's a part of me that wants to just say it's, you know, it's like peaceful ambient music, you know, like blah, blah, blah. You know, it's kind of, you know, exactly. Um, And sort of how easy the response is and sort of how easy it is to push emotional buttons with music is sort of um, in some respects in a piece like this really appealing to me but also does sometimes feel cheap to me and I think that's why I'm kind of moving away from it a little bit um, so in this piece you know the music is exact it's it sort of feels like exactly what it should be you know it's sort of like drony and then every once in a while you know it's pretty and then like there's some sort of, um, you know, white noise, like wind, and then every once in a while there's something maybe a little bit more kind of revelatory or, or um, kind of punctuating going on with the music. But um, it's not something I really, you know, consider, you know, again, I think there is a sort of, I think I can't help but think of it in terms of a certain cheapness and in terms of the ease with which you can, again, push those emotional buttons makes it a little um, hard to take that seriously I guess in a certain way I know that's not, that might sound weird but was the music found or no the music was you? composed um, and um, you know I think uh, I'm trying to think I think there's a the wind is probably like a sample like the kind of white noise uh, is a sample but I think everything else is synthesized so one thing that is in Up and Away a little bit, but it's definitely in some of your other works, that's also represented in this exhibition is that dreams aren't always pretty. (laughs) There are parts of this dream show where we move almost into nightmares. Whereas viewers start at the first gallery and move their way through, there's a darkness that happens. And I know in another earlier work of yours, some houses have pools, which has clouds that look like they're from Super Mario Bros. (laughs) 3. Um, We see a suburban town from above and then once in a while, it seems that there's a house that's either caught on fire mm-hmm. or it's exploding. Mm-hmm. 
Can you talk a little bit about when your work diverges from the beautiful and the sublime into, I don't even know if the word is sinister, right. but a sort of subtle darkness that works into a couple of your pieces? Yeah, I think, you know, for me, um, for me, it's, again, it's sort of a, a way of undermining a little bit the... Um, that ease with which you can kind of push something into the sublime or the peaceful or the contemplative, um, where in that piece, you know, I think that the way the the smoke from the house is rendered is very similar to the way the clouds are rendered. So the clouds kind of have this kind of shifting lullaby kind of feel, and then, oh, there's this smoke from this house. And aesthetically, the kind of um, feel of it is very similar. So I think, you know, for me, it's not so much about being sinister so much as it is sort of undermining uh, the gesture of of um, of making something uh, pleasant or something and saying you know it's 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 almost uh, look it's so easy to make this pleasant or it's so constructed it's not a real thing it's a very conscious construction and as a result look I'm going to show you that I can you know have this house be on fire and it kind of slips into this this context, you know, so it's almost, for me, a gesture like that is almost important how it doesn't come across as sinister. It's almost like the fire and the smoke is as peaceful as the panning shot or as the clouds moving. So I think it's not so much about sort of, um, of, of a sinisterness um, in terms of the imagery uh, or the content of the piece so much as it is a sinisterness almost in this like kind of wink at, you know, ha-ha. Um, the ease with which this imagery is constructed. Dreams is an exhibition with 20 artists and a lot of works. Your piece happens to fall kind of towards the end of the show, and I think that means a lot of viewers will remember your work. <laughs> is there something you want people to take away from your work as opposed to all these other videos that they're going to be seeing, a comment that huh. you really want to stick with them after they've left the experience of being in the show? Um, well, um, you know, I think there's something a little presumptuous about um, trying to uh, position my work in relationship to everything else, you know, or say like, you know, I, you know, be presumptuous to say that, you know, it's like a cleansing or, you know, or something like, or, or that it would somehow uh, usurp these other pieces, you know, kind of uh, experientially or something. But, you know, I do think that um, kind of, you know, something I touched upon a minute ago, this idea that it's important to me to present this as a construct and kind of present it in such a way that is simultaneously kind of seductive and alluring and hypnotic, but at the same time, if you look at it and you break it down, you can say, oh wait, these are just kind of a bunch of landscapes scrolling by at different speeds. And I think it's important to me that it can be read at both those levels, and I think that hopefully what someone can kind of extrapolate from that is the idea that um, all all of these things, and I'm not saying the pieces in the show, but perhaps the pieces in the show, um, all of these things are constructs, and all of these things are mediated, and all of these things are, you know, the result of a, of a great deal of artifice, be it, um, you know, integral to the piece, be it up front, be it, you know, transparent, opaque, hidden, whatever. 
Um, so perhaps if there was anything that I wanted them to take um, with them, or uh, you know, perhaps it's that idea that that the images that we see and uh, the kind of visual environment that we exist in is not always quite as neat as it might appear to be. <laughs> I mean, I think that and the fact that you are giving a nod to sort of the clunkiness <laughs> of some technology is an interesting comment against what we consider to be quote-unquote cinematic. Mm -hmm. We think of the cinema as almost a kind of magic. Mm -hmm. You suspend disbelief and for two hours or however long you're in front of this movie screen, you believe the story that you're being told. Mm -hmm. You believe that you're somehow a part of it until you wake up. But your work is really sort of slapping the viewer around a little bit yeah, saying, or I hope, yeah. this is what's really going on, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain, even though I'm going to open the curtain right. and show you all the behind the scenes stuff that's leading you to sort of fall into this and believe what you're seeing. Yeah, it's, it's funny, like this might seem a little tangential, but um, I taught, I've never really made films per se, but I taught film editing for two and a half years after school. Um, so it was sort of interesting taking this, um, you know, I studied film a lot and, um, and you know, I sort of, you know, made video art and stuff like that, but film per se was never something that I was really that engaged with um, making. But then I, I had this job where I had to teach um, students how to edit kind of narrative cinema and how to deal with those kind of tricks and those gestures and the, that way of, of all the things you do, you know, continuity and, and all those tricks to create this environment where you can suspend disbelief. And, and I think that that, in a weird way, you know, I was thinking about it the other day, I think that that was really sort of um, left a kind of mark on me having access to this thing where the only reason, the only way that I was engaged in this this world of cinema was in the tricks, was in the kind of little gestures that you use to kind of create this hole that seems magical and um, not having access to the other side where it was all about these little tricks. I think, um, you know, there's a certain way that, that that kind of way of approaching things kind of seeped in the back door of, of what I'm doing now. Final thoughts? Um, thank you for having me on this podcast. It's been a pleasure. And thanks to you. And The Cinema Effect, Illusion Reality, and The Moving Image, Part 1, Dreams, will be on view until May 11th. Thanks, Mike. Thank you.